Saints, how about before I begin, I'd like you all to sing 1081 in the hymnal. Uh, sorry, it is not in Chinese, uh, but I would just encourage the Chinese saints, just enjoy the, the singing of all the other saints, okay? This is a hymn on uh, John 17, which is very wonderful. Okay, John 17. Uh, this is a 1081 in the hymnal. have one more car to move, the Silver Subaru 88LL07. If you have that car, please come to the back and we'll direct you to a proper location. Thank you. Amen. Well, this is a wonderful hymn. I really wish uh, it can be translated into Chinese soon. (laughs) It's really a wonderful hymn so that we can all enjoy together. Uh, This weekend, we have been Uh, on this matter of the all-inclusive oneness, on the vision, experience, and practice 
of the all-inclusive oneness. As we brought out from the beginning, from the first meeting, we saw this matter of oneness is of critical importance, both in the Word of God and in the carrying out of God's eternal economy. God carried out all His operation in the principle of oneness. God honors oneness. God upheld oneness. So this is clearly revealed in His Holy Word. And this weekend, we are, going, we are uh, coming to His Word, particularly in four portions of the Word, which touch upon this matter of oneness. And in the first meeting, we came to Deuteronomy 12, where we saw the matter of oneness according to God's ordination. <clears throat> the oneness is as commanded by God. This is not a matter of our choice, our preference. It is altogether a matter of God's choice. When God's people entered into the good land, they were scattered into many places, many areas. So in order to preserve God's people from being separated, to become many peoples, God commanded that at least three times a year, all the 12 tribes have to come together to Jerusalem, the place of God's choice. Amen. Right? Regardless of how far they live, how far away, uh, how distant, how inconvenient, and so forth, God wants them to come together <clears throat> in the place of His choice. This is the place where God put His name, where God's habitation is. It is also the place where God's altar is. They have to bring the choice produce of their labor of the year. They have to bring their tithes, their firstlings of their flock. They have to bring it. They cannot eat it, enjoy it themselves. They have to preserve it, save it, to bring it with them during these festal times, three times a year, to feast with all of God's children. And in this way, there is, they testify that God's people on the earth are not 12 groups are not 12 peoples, they are one people. They are one. Although they are scattered in 12 different areas, they are one people of God. So it is not up to God, uh, the children of Israel, to choose what is convenient for them, what is uh, uh, pleasing to them. They have to take God's choice. Well, we have seen this is uh, in application today in the New Testament... As we are practicing the church life, one city, one church, we are following God's choice. It is not up to us to follow what is convenient to us, what is pleasant to us, what is uh, our preference. God did not leave any ground for our choice. God wants us to take His choice. In the Bible, God does not allow us, there's no indication of believers meeting in any kind of uh, other grounds. There's no, no, this type of church, that type of church. All the believers are just to meet as the churches in the localities. Amen. The church in Jerusalem, the church in Antioch, the church in Corinth. In a very simple way, God's people should just come together without exalting any name. Amen. The only name that we exalt is the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This is our, the unique name. Amen. 
the place of God's choice is the place where God put His name, implying His person. Among us, in all the meetings of the churches, we exalt only one person, Jesus Christ. He is the unique person in our midst. This is also the place of God's habitation, meaning that this is the place where we meet together in the Spirit. We don't come together to argue, to debate, to analyze. The God's habitation is in the Mingo Spirit. And also, this is the place where there is the altar implying the cross. There is no place for our old man, for our natural man. All that we are have been terminated at the altar. So in all the meetings of the churches, we have these characteristics. This is where God's name is. God's habitation is. This is where the altar is, implying that this is where God's person is. We exalt only Him. This is where we all enjoy releasing our spirit to to worship the Lord in, in the spirit and also to allow all that we are naturally to be crossed out. And finally, when God's people come together in this way, they come together in the way of feasting. They are not coming together for moaning, groaning, you know, to uh, uh, criticizing. No, they come together to feast. This weekend, we're here to feast together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Christ is so rich to us. He is the all-inclusive Christ. Typified by the good land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So every day as we live our Christian life, we don't just go to church once a week for a couple of hours. Our church life is 24-7. Every day we are laboring on Christ, enjoying Christ as our clothing, as the air we breathe, as the food we eat. He is so real to us every day. So in our coming together in the church meetings, we bring this rich Christ with us to celebrate, to exhibit, to share him with one another. This is the real church life. This is the place where God ordained his people to enjoy together to, in this way, we exhibit the genuine oneness among God's people. Then last night we went on to see from Psalm 133, which is a wonderful uh, psalm, just of three verses. Particularly, we see that when the brothers dwell together in unity, how good, how pleasant it is. Because um, that, that oneness among them is like, it's like what? It's like ointment. And it's like dew. It's like the precious ointment, like the fresh dew. The ointment is, it signifies the consummated spirit, the compound spirit. So whenever we come together, what is our oneness is like? Our oneness like our oneness is like this: the enjoyment of this compound spirit. The triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, has been processed and now consummated to be the life-giving spirit, compounded with the element of His divinity his humanity, his death, and his resurrection. Like our brother pointed out last night, when we take this spirit, we take everything. We take divinity, we take humanity, we take the death of Christ, we take the resurrection of Christ. 
You get one, you get the whole deal. Hallelujah. Whether you like death or not, when you enjoy the spirit, the death of Christ is there. So this compound spirit is the very ointment being applied to us, spreading on us. What is the genuine oneness? A genuine oneness is not our agreement, our uh, niceness toward one another. No, our oneness is when we allow this compound spirit to be applied over us. Whenever we allow the ointment to to be applied over us, that is the reality of oneness. So the oneness that we are talking about in the church life is altogether different from the oneness talked about in the world. They are locked, they are, in the world, they're looking for some kind of outward agreement, outward uh, kind of a harmony by some kind of arrangement. We don't attack you, you don't attack me, we, I, do, I don't trouble you, you don't trouble me, let's just keep a nice distance from one another. Keep the peace. That is not the oneness revealed in God's holy word. The oneness as seen in God's holy word is the oneness by the compound spirit applied over our being. Thank you, Lord, for your compound spirit applying over us. Don't you sense even these two meetings, yesterday, we get a little bit more coating of the spirit, of this ointment. He is applying over us. As we saw from the outline last night, when you are under the application of the compound spirit, it would even be difficult, impossible for you to be divisive. Can you believe that, Brother Earl? You know, when you enjoy Christ so much, you have even no thought of dividing. It's impossible to be divisive. You know, whenever you are in your critical mind, I tell you, you it doesn't take much to be divisive. Right? It just, it just a thought comes in. I forget about these people. I will go somewhere else. It's just a little irritation. Right away, you just forget about it. But when you are enjoying Christ so much, like what we have been doing these last couple of days, I mean, division is an impossibility. We are not trying to stay together, brothers and sisters. When you stay under the ointment, it's impossible to divide. <laughs> you know, as a, as a normal, per, healthy person, you think it's easier for him to stand or to fall? Yeah, it's difficult to fall. You have to, you have to do something to really to, to fall down. In the normal condition of the body of Christ, enjoying this process and consummated trying God as the compound spirit, division is a foreign thing. It is not, it's not something we try to, let's try to hold together, keep, make sure we don't, we don't split, we don't divide. No, that means you are still in your effort. When we are in, just in a normal condition, enjoying the application of the triune God as this compound ointment, division is altogether a foreign thing. Amen. And here also we have the descending of the fresh dew upon us, signifying the grace of life. Christ as grace. The triune God process to become grace to us that we may enjoy Him. Amen. Right? 
the eternal word became flesh, tabernacled among us, full of grace. Grace is not a merited favor. It's not just something God did for us for free. Grace is God enjoyed by us. What grace this morning. Right? Because we are all enjoying the triune God. There is a condition of grace. There is this expression of grace. When we are enjoying this grace of life, as typified by the fresh dew, gradually descending upon the mountains of Zion. Again, this is how what oneness is like. Oneness is not something we try to put together. Oneness is like this precious ointment. Upon the head of a person, Aaron. And oneness is like this precious, this fresh dew descending upon a place, upon the mountains of Zion. On the one hand, brothers and sisters, among the churches, on the one hand, we are with a person. The person, Christ the head, and we are the body. Universally, all the churches together with Christ are just one new man. This is where the ointment is applied. The ointment comes upon the head and spreads slowly and it reaches even to the skirt of the garment. It doesn't matter who you are. You may have just gotten saved last week. You are just a new member in the church. Praise the Lord. The ointment reaches you. It flows down from the head, reaching to the smallest, meanest member in the body. And also the body of Christ, the church, is expressed in many localities as the local churches, as the mountains of Zion. It's upon these mountains of Zion, there is the descending of the fresh dew as the grace of life refreshing us, supplying us, enabling us to live together in unity, in oneness. This is what oneness is like. So oneness, on the one hand, is by us following God's choice, taking God's choice, rejecting our own choice, taking God's choice as our choice, coming together on the ground of oneness as chosen by God in the Spirit, right? And then bringing Christ to enjoy with one another. And also, oneness is when we allow this process and consummated triune God to be applied to us, moment by moment. And then enjoying this fresh dew as a supply of grace, strengthening us, supplying us, so that within us, we are just all the time mingling with this process, triune God. There is no possibility of division. Praise Him. This morning, we come to another wonderful portion of the Word. This is John 17. Many Christians, they they are familiar with this chapter. Uh, They know this is a chapter concerning the Lord's prayer, His ultimate prayer, before He went to the cross to be crucified. And... In, this, in a kind of a superficial way, 
they understand this prayer is, has to do with something to do with oneness. Because in that prayer, the Lord mentioned a few times about uh, concerning His believers being one. That they all may be one. That they all may be one. That they all may be one. That they, uh, that they may be perfected into one. Four times the Lord mentioned this matter in that prayer. So to their understanding was that the Lord, in that prayer of the Lord, it is something concerning oneness. Well, I don't say that it is, not, it is wrong that this prayer is not concerning oneness. Rather, there is something deeper in the Lord's heart in that prayer. Although He uttered this, these words, that His people may be one. But deep down in His heart, there is something else that He was praying for. That oneness is not the ultimate issue. That, that oneness actually is for something else. What is that something else? Well, when you read the chapter, when you read the chapter carefully, you will see that deep in the Lord's heart, there is something called glorification. He wants to be glorified. You know, as parents, sometimes we talk to children. We talk to children about, oh, uh, you know, son, you should, you should uh, study hard. You should uh, do well in school, this and that. You know, your word, you say some, one thing, but actually in your heart, you, you, you have, there's something more in your heart. May not be adequately expressed. The words outwardly, you want him to study hard, do well in school, this and that. But when your heart is more than that. There's something your words cannot even express. So as the Lord was praying to the Father that they may be one, apparently that prayer was on oneness, that the pe- God's people would be one, His, the believers would be one. But deep down in the Lord's heart, He desires that He Himself would be glorified, that the Father would be glorified in the Son's glorification. And that glorification glorification needs the oneness of His believers. Now I know this may may seem Greek to you right now. What what is He talking about? You know, oneness is is something that we have a little bit more uh, understanding, right, in our realm. We can be one, and we can be... uh, 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 one with one another. <clears throat> but glorification is a strange term to us because it is something altogether in another realm. You, cannot, you can find the word oneness in our dictionary, but you cannot find the word one glorification in our dictionary. It's not in, the, in, it's not in Oxford, not in, not in, our, not in our sense. What is the Lord, even in this, how, how he began this prayer, the Lord says, these things Jesus spoke and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he says, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. Amen. That the Son may glorify you. You have to realize this prayer, John 17, is actually a conclusion. 
a conclusion to the message the Lord Jesus gave to his disciples just before that, covered in chapters 14, 15, 16. That was a long discourse the Lord had with his disciples before he went to the cross. And those three chapters constitute the deepest, the most mysterious, and the deepest portion in the book of John. You know, many Christians, they like to read John, but only up to chapter 12, maybe chapter 13. They like all those, all those parables, all those, uh, all those uh, uh, cases the Lord uh, uh, did among men. They enjoy that. The Lord's talking with the Samaritan woman. The Lord's talk with uh, Nicodemus and so forth. When we come to chapter 14, we're stuck. Mm. Chapter 15, stuck. Chapter 16, worse. <laughs> Even yesterday, I was trying to, I just reread the chapter 14, 15, 16 again. I, didn't, I have no idea. No, what is he talking about? <laughs> Without the help of the ministry, I have no clue what he's talking about. He's talking about going, coming, this, you know, and then, uh, you know, praying to the Father, the Son, and then, uh, you know, it's, it seems to be all mixed up. You know, the Lord is, seems that the Lord is confused. <laughs> you know, you know we, we, are, we, have, we have this kind of logical th- thinking. We want to sort out everything. You know, when you read 14, 15, there's, there's no logic. You cannot come to that book without human natural logic, try to understand. But through the ministry, we've been helped to understand that in those three chapters, we are revealed a most mysterious revelation concerning God's heart's desire. The entire economy of God is revealed there in those three chapters. If you only appreciate all those cases, uh, of the Lord, of Christ, is to man, how he was life to man in the first 12 chapters, well, you have not gotten into the real heart of John. The real heart of John in the Gospel of John is contained in these chapters, 14, 15, 16. In brief, what was the Lord Jesus saying in those three chapters? In brief, he was revealing to his disciples that he was the very Son of God sent by the Father in the flesh to come to dwell among mankind, to dwell among his believers. Then he had to go through death and resurrection to to be transfigured from the flesh into the spirit in order to enter into the believers. When he came in the flesh, he could only be among the believers. But now he had to take further step through the cross and through resurrection to become the spirit so that he can enter into the believers and live in the believers. And in this way, The believers, the Father is brought into the believers, and the believers are also brought into the Father. Because this very Christ, He embodies the Father. 
He is the embodiment of the Father. No, after he became the Spirit, he could now enter the, into the believers. He brought the Father into them, and he also brought the believers into the Father. And in this way, there is a mingling of divinity with humanity. Amen. Through his becoming that consummated Spirit, who is the Spirit of reality, the Lord says, He will guide you into all the realities. It is by means of this Spirit we can understand, we can enjoy all that the triune God is to us. He guides us into all the realities. And when this Spirit comes into us, the mingling begins to take place Divinity is mingled with humanity, and humanity is mingled with divinity to produce a mutual abode of God and man. God becomes man's abode, and man becomes God's abode. God dwells in man, and man dwells in God. This mutual abode is being signified in chapter 14, as the Father's house. Chapter 14. Yet in my Father's house are many abodes. That is not the heavenly mansion, sorry. That is the body of Christ as a mutual abode of God and man. God dwells there. Man dwells there. God dwells in man. Man dwells in God. So this mutual abode is firstly signified by the Father's house in John 14, and then is signified by the vine tree of the Son in John 15. In John 15, the Lord says, Abide in me, and I in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This vine tree is a mutual abode of God and man. Right? I am the vine. You are the branches. We have been organically joined together to become this organism, a mutual abode of God and man. Then this mutual abode is also signified by the new child or the new man of the Spirit in chapter 16. Here, Christ is the head and all his believers are his body. As the new man, the new child born into this world, right? This is also a mutual abode where God dwells and also where man dwells. It's marvelous. And all these three entities, the father's house, the vine, the the son's vine, and the child, the new child of the spirit, they are corporate entity built up together for the expression of the triune God. So this was the message that the Lord Jesus gave to the disciples. I don't think, I don't know they understood it or not. But anyway, the Lord spoke it and it's recorded. It's in our Bible today. Hallelujah. So although many of us, we don't understand, but with the help of the Spirit through the ministry, this has been opened up to us. My, I tell you, just what I just spoke to you in the last few minutes is worth million dollars. 
Oh, the revelation is tremendous. And having spoken this word, then the Lord made a conclusion in his prayer in John 17. Then he prayed. How is he going to come about? How is that uh, this uh, mutual abode is going to come about? How is this this, uh, 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 organism, uh, the father's house, the son's vine, the new man, as the mingling and incorporation of God and man, how is it going to come about? Then the Lord prayed in John 17. Mm -hmm. And praying, Father, glorify your Son. That the Son may glorify you. Glorify someone, as spoken by the Lord here, is altogether different from our human concept of glorification. We think to glorify somebody is to put a crown on your head, Give you a gold medal, right? Give you a, uh, give you, give you, give you some kind of uh, honor. Give you some kind of uh, 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 awards. No, the Lord's usage of his of the word glorification means what? Means release. Amen. The war, the Lord wants to be released Amen. through His glorification. He likened Himself to a grain of wheat. And contained within this, the, 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 the seed is the life germ with the life power and the life glory of that seed. But it's all contained within that, within that ugly seed. Outwardly, you look at the seed, it's ugly. It's nothing, to be, nothing worth beholding. But when that seed, you put it into the ground and let it be buried... After a short time, something will sprout forth. A beautiful carnation flower springs forth. That is the glorification of that seed. Allowing that life germ within the seed, with the life power, with the life glory, to be released and expressed in beauty, in glory. That's why the Lord, you know, when... You know, in Luke 12, in 40, 49, 50, that he says, you know, I have a baptism to be baptized with. How I am constrained. How I'm constrained within. You know, the, before the Lord is, the Lord is facing the cross. He has to go to the cross. He said he was constrained. He was, he was pressed There was this glory inside of him, which is the divinity of God, concealed within him. And all along in his 33 and a half years of human life on the earth, people ridiculed him. People misunderstood him. They say, who is this? This is a carpenter's son. Who who taught you this? You have no, what school did you go to? We know your brothers. We know your sisters. You are no better. And yet, here is this one containing the God of glory inside of him. So he felt, I am constrained how I want to be released. He was facing the cross. He just cannot wait till that day by being sown into the earth and allowed death to operate on him, to strip away his shell and to release that divine glory within him. 
And it is in that glorification the Father is glorified in Him. Amen. The Father is glorified in the Son's glorification. When the Son is released, His divinity concealed within His human shell, when He is released, that became, he, that became the life-giving Spirit, allowing Him to dispense the very life and nature of God into all of God's chosen people. In this way, the Father is being glorified in the Son's glorification. You say, what what does this have to do with oneness? It's everything to do with oneness. Without this glory, actually, the oneness is for this glorification. It's for this release. The Father desires to be glorified in the Son's glorification. So that the Father may have this expression on the earth, expressed as the Father's house, expressed as the vine tree, expressed as the new man. And all these entities require us to to be maintained in oneness. All the abodes in the Father's house need to be maintained in oneness. All the branches of the vine tree needs to be maintained in oneness. And all the members of this new man need to be maintained in this oneness. So that the Father may be glorified. And saints, maybe at this point I will just share a little bit more about what glorification means to you, to us. We saw a little bit about what glorification means to, to the Son, to Jesus Christ. God's intention for all of us is to glorify us. Glory means what? God expressed. Wherever God is expressed, there is glory. When God created man, He made man in His own image and according to His own likeness. God desires to gain His expression in man. We saw this in the first meeting. I hope we will never forget What is God's eternal intention with man? God desires to be expressed through man. In New England, in Boston, in uh, Cambridge, Newton, Providence, and all these places, God wants an expression. Why should there be churches all over the earth? All the churches are to bear the testimony of Jesus. To express this very triune God on this dark earth. In this dead and dying New England states, God is expressed. God is being glorified through us being brought into glory. I came across this verse in uh, Isaiah 43. This... uh, It's a wonderful verse I'd like to read to you. 43 verse 7. Which says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created, formed, and even made for my glory. God says he created, he formed, he made us for his glory. Every human being, we are not made for our own expression, 
for our own ideas, to achieve our own goals. Every one of us, we were created, we were formed, we were made for God's glory. In the footnote, I just read part of that footnote to you, verse uh, uh, <clears throat> footnote 1. Brother Lee says, In the present age, the church is the testimony of God in the sense of being one with Christ as God's testimony. In being such a testimony, the church serves God. Thus, all God's elect can be considered servants of God with Christ for the expression of God's glory. Listen, the glorification of God is the purpose of our service. The highest service we can render to God is to express His glory. What is the highest service you can render to God? Oh, not that, oh, I can bring, uh, you know, a thousand people to Christ, or I can, uh, you know, help to build up a nice uh, uh, assembly hall. I can uh, do some good works for God. The highest service we can render to God is to express His glory. We human beings were made in God's image for the expression of God, for the glorification of God. Unfortunately, man fell, became sinful, seduced by Satan. And as Paul said in Romans 3, man came short of the glory of God. Man sinned and came short of the glory of God. Man is supposed to express God, but now by receiving the poison of Satan, being seduced by Satan, now mankind is no longer expressing God, but expressing Satan. So man came short of the glory of God. Man sinned. So from that day onward, mankind was chased out of, God, of the Garden of Eden. And God set a flaming sword before the tree of life to block the entrance, the way to the tree of life. That flaming sword signifies the demand of God's righteousness, His holiness, and His glory upon the fallen man. Until man can meet God's demand, there's no way to enter to the tree of life. So, mankind fell short of God's glory. But when the Son of God came to the earth to be our Savior, to be our Redeemer, He came as the eternal Word tabernacled among us. We behold His glory. The glory as of the only begotten Son of the Father. And in verse 18 of chapter 1 of John, He says, No one has seen the Father, but only the the begotten Son who is in the bosom of, of the Father, He has expressed Him. Amen. When the Son of God came on the earth, He didn't just come with a commission, I'm coming to be the Savior of mankind, I'm just going to go to the cross and die. He came along with that commission to, uh, to die for the sins of mankind. He came to express the Father. Amen. His life on the earth was to manifest, to express God. Man can behold the glory of God in him. But certainly at that time, when he, as, a, as a human being, 
That glory of God was concealed within him. At times, well, he, when he spoke, words of grace flow out. Amen. Something people could not understand. How can something so good, so sweet, so pleasant come out of a person, a man's mouth? How come when we are around him, we feel so comfortable? We feel so, so, uh, uh, so, so pleased. There's something special about this person. He was expressing God. And then one day he took his disciples, three disciples with him on the mount to the mountain of transfiguration. And there with Moses and Elijah. And he all of a sudden, he just unzipped himself. For a while, for all these years, he had just, you know, concealed his glory. Everybody, he's just a Nazarene. He is just a poor man, carpenter's son. And then for those few moments, you know, he was with those disciples. And he just unzipped and said, look at what's inside of me. You know, and Peter wrote in his second epistles, he says, on the mountain, we saw the magnificence of, magnificence of glory. <coughs> that was the expression of Peter. That was, he saw glory there. It's a magnificent glory. Amen. And Peter just really got carried away. He was just, uh, wow, it's, to, it's so wonderful. Oh, let me build a tent for you, this and that, right? And not a nonsense. He said, and then the father, you know, spoke. This is my beloved son. Amen. Hear him. Amen. But just a short time, he just zipped up, zipped it up. Again, he was just an ordinary man, right? But that glory, that glory... Which, which implies the divinity. What is glory? Glory is God's divinity. Was concealed within this man. Until the day, the time he went to the cross to be crucified there. Then as a seed falling into the earth and die. Now his glory is his life through death and resurrection is being released. And that release is his glorification. Amen. So the Son of God came not only just to do a work. He came to express God. To bear God's glory. Then <clears throat> he died and resurrected to become the Spirit. And then anointing, anointed his Apostles, his disciples, to go forth to preach the gospel. And you and I, we were sinners, we were unbelievers, but one day we heard the gospel of the glory of Christ. Do you know there is such an expression of the glory, such an aspect of the glory of the, of the gospel in the Bible? The gospel is not just the gospel of grace. The gospel is not just the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel is called the gospel of the glory of Christ. Amen. In 2 Corinthians 4. The gospel was blinded. The God of this age has blinded the eyes of the hearts of the, of the unbelievers. He does not want the illumination of the gospel of the glory of Christ to, sh to shine into us. But praise the Lord. The gospel of the glory of Christ illumined us. Shined in. Brought us into glory. Even penetrated, infused, 
glory into us. Amen. For the first time, oh, we love him. Amen. We, this person is too wonderful. Amen. Don't you believe when Saul of Tarsus, there on the journey on his, to Damascus, to trying to bind all the believers, and then he got the light in the heavens came down, and then there, there he was, I tell you, the God of glory appeared to him. Amen. He received the gospel of the glory of Christ. He thought he was serving God. He was doing God a service by persecuting all those believers. Until he met this excellent one. He was captured by him. That later on in the Philippians he said, For the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, I count all things lost. His glory is too marvelous. It's too excellent. Nothing can be compared to him. Oh, he saw. He, he did not just find a savior. He found glory. Amen. He found glory. Then he prayed. He also, as he served, as he carried out his ministry, he prayed for the believers in Ephesians 3. He prayed to what? To the Father of glory. And he prayed in chapter 3, he said, Father, grant us according to the riches of your glory. Amen. Grant us to be strengthened with power by your spirit into our inner man. Amen. That Christ may make his home in our, in our hearts. Amen. He prayed, his prayer for us was not just according to our condition how needful we are. He prayed according to the riches of the Father's glory. They are so, with the Father's glory, there are many riches. Remember again, what is glory? Glory is God's divinity. In God's divinity, there are many riches. And he would pray that a Father, according to all these bountiful riches of your glory, of your divinity... Grant us to be strengthened Amen. with power Amen. by your spirit Amen. into our inner man. Amen. Oh, I pray this prayer every morning. Amen. I love this prayer. And brotherly charge us to pray every day for three months. Amen. And I'm still praying every morning. That is my you call it routine prayer. But I love this routine prayer. Amen. Asking the Father to strengthen me Amen. with the riches of his glory. Amen. According to his riches of his glory, strengthen me with power by his spirit into my inner man so that Christ may make his home in my heart. In other words, Paul is praying, we need more glory to be dispensed into us. Strengthen our spirit, inner man, more glory. Christ making his home in our heart, more glory. That we may be rooted and grounded in love. That we may be have the full knowledge, right, of the surpassing love of Christ. We can know the breadth and length and depth and height of Christ with all the saints. And then we will be filled unto all the fullness of God. Amen. Oh, I tell you, more glory, more glory, Amen. more glory. Amen. When you come together with the, to apprehend with all the saints, more glory. Amen. And then you, when you arrive in tw verse 21, unto him be glory in the church. Amen. There's so much glory dispensed into us. Now this glory is returning back to God. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 
Glory to God. Amen. Not as a trite term, you know, I'm like, oh, glory to God, glory to God. What glory do you have? If you have not received any glory from God, what glory do you have to give back to God? It's not just a wave of hand. It's not just a saying that's a glory to God. In order to give glory to God, we first have to receive glory from God. To enjoy this God of glory with the riches of His glory, every day to be strengthened by His, by His Spirit, so that we can be filled unto all the fullness of God. Then, as the church, in the church, we can offer this glory back to God. And saints, eventually, you know, when we arrive in the ultimate consummation, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, that is a city of glory. Amen. As Revelation says, that city is filled with the glory of God. Amen. <clears throat> that, is a, that is a city of glory. That means that city expresses God through and through. Well, I just brought you from Genesis all the way to Revelation. <laughs> to give you a view of God's intention for us is to glorify us. Because it is through our glorification, He can be glorified. If we are not glorified, He cannot be glorified. Just like the Son prayed, Father, glorify your Son so that you may be glorified. It is through saints, day by day, we receive more of God's glory dispensed into us. Right? Beginning from, from receiving the gospel of His glory, and then every day enjoying the riches of His glory, accumulated in our being, that we would be filled unto all the fullness of God that we can give the glory back to God. Amen. That is, at this time, the bride <clears throat> that is prepared to be for Christ will be a glorious church. Amen. Right? That, in chapter 5 of Ephesians, the church will be presented back to Christ glorious. Amen. Without spot, without wrinkle, without any such thing, but a glorious church. Amen. How about the church in Cambridge? Glorious church, David. Amen. Oh, the church in Worcester. Amen. Glorious church. Amen. The church in Newington. Amen. Glorious church. Amen. The church in Newton. Amen. Glorious church. Amen. Church in Providence, not Providence. Amen. Glorious church. Amen. Shelton. Amen. Glorious church. Amen. What else? New Haven. New Haven. Amen. Glorious church. Amen. Middleborough. Amen. Glorious church. Amen. Did I miss some? Huh? Montreal. 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 Amen. Glorious church. Amen. Torrington. Torrington. Amen. Glorious church. Amen. Means a church full of glory. Amen. A church every day. Allow the Father of glory, the God of glory, to dispense His glory into us. That is His divinity. That is His expression. So in many verses in the New Testament, it, we are also clearly told 
we have been called to glory. Right? God called us to glory. Glory is our destiny. God's intention for us is that we would become such glorious church for what? For expressing Him. No, enough to be glorified so that I can show off how good I am. No. Glory is God expressed. Now, you, un- you know, have a little understanding of what this glorification is. Amen. Now, you can, we, can, we can take a look at the outline. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll finish. We'll finish today. I think that understanding will help you to appreciate the Lord's prayer for glorification. Amen. Now, no, Roman numeral one, the Lord's prayer... In message 5, the Lord's Prayer in John 17 was for the glorification, the manifestation, the expression of the triune God. God's eternal purpose is to manifest, to express Himself. This has been clear. How about, uh, brothers, you read point A. It's very clear. Now, sisters, B. The release of the glory of Christ's divinity was his being glorified by the Father. Now, the Lord glory is Amen. Okay, C, uh, C, brothers. Christ prayed that his Father would glorify him, and the Father answered his prayer by resurrecting him. For Christ to be glorified was for him. Okay, here, uh, if you, there are a number of uh, uh, places, verses in the New Testament that it seems that glorification and resurrection are interchangeable. Such as uh, in John 7, when the Lord talks about the Spirit was not yet, right? Uh, The Spirit that is to be received by the believers, out from them flows rivers of living water. He talks about the Spirit. But the Spirit was not yet because Jesus was not yet resurrected. Right. He didn't say resurrected. He said glorified. But that's what he meant though. Right? That refers to his resurrection. Because Jesus has not yet been resurrected. But the Lord Jesus did not say resurrected. He said glorified. Glorification, I said earlier, is release. It's the release of that divinity within him, in humanity. But the process that it took was resurrection. The significance was the release, but the process was resurrection. So, although on one hand, on one hand is interchangeable glorification and resurrection, but there is a difference. Christ was not just resurrected. He was glorified. Something was released through that process of resurrection. Okay, Uh, then the sisters, one.
Amen. Okay, brothers, two. Christ has the sevenfold intensified life-giving spirit today. It is a burning fire within us. Amen. Amen. The Lord Jesus says in Luke 12 that I came to cast fire on this earth. Amen. What is this fire? This fire is the impulse of God's divine life. Amen. This fire, God wants to see this fire burn Amen. all over this earth, Amen. all over New England. Amen. This cold, frozen New England <laughs> needs some hot fire. Amen. And this fire is not by our zeal. It's not by our activities. It's by the impulse of God's divine life. Amen. It's by the glory released from within us. Amen. Oh, I tell you, saints, when we are every day, we are just coming to the Lord, enjoying this God of glory. Amen. You and I, we, cannot, we will not be able to hold back ourselves. Amen. Tomorrow, school is, many schools are starting. All these campuses need fire. Amen. The fire... Not by our activities, but the fire, by the glory. Amen. The glory that flows out of us. Amen. To become the impulse of the divine life. To be cast on all these campuses. To burn all these incoming freshmen. All these young people. The Lord brought, 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 uh, brings to all these, all these campuses throughout New England. They need to be burned by the fire. Amen. Don't you believe, you know, you know, with the two disciples walking with the Lord in, on, on the way to, uh, to Emmaus, right? The Lord was just, again, he just uh, concealed his glory. He was walking like a common man, walking with the two disciples, talking along the way, expounding the scriptures to them. And then eventually the Lord just uh, uh, left them. And then the two disciples says, wasn't our heart burning when he spoke to us, when he expounded the scriptures to us? I tell you, <clears throat> when the people today receive the pure word of God, the release of God's spirit, of God's divine life through his word, there will be fire Amen. cast on this earth. Cast, fire cast on all the campuses. Bradley says here, the fire brought us together. <laughs> you know, on a Labor Day weekend, while all, many people are going out for their barbecue, for their, you know, all the fun time, here we are. We are coming together just to, you know, uh, uh, listen to long messages, you know. And, and so with so many people taking hospitality and all the inconvenience. What brought us here? A fire. Amen. Something burning within us. Amen. Oh, I tell you, the fire has brought us here. Amen. And this fire is burning all over the earth. Yeah. Burning in Africa. Amen. You know, we're going to share with you a little later about, oh, there's a six-week full-time training going to take place tomorrow Hallelujah. in Africa. There are saints from six co countries in Africa coming together. Fire is burning there. Amen. Fire is burning in Europe. Fire is burning in Asia, in Korea, in China. Fire everywhere. Amen. This fire is the impulse of God's divine life. By the believers being glorified. Right? By the believers being glorified, enjoying the God of glory, and allowing Him to be released from us. So, we are burdened that this fire would burn many others. 
Okay, who's next? Point D. Brothers, was it? Brothers. Brothers? The issue of Christ's glorification was the producing of a universal incorporation for the expression of the triune God. Amen. Whose unique attribute is oneness. Amen. The oneness of Amen. So this glorification that Christ was praying for is, has an issue. This issue was revealed in chapter 14, 15, 16 as a mutual abode, which is also a universal divine human incorporation. What is an incorporation? Meaning that one dwells within each other. The triune God himself is an incorporation. Because the Son says, I am in the Father. The Father is in me. Right? The Father, Son, and Spirit, they don't merely coexist. They also co-inhere. So the entire triune God exists as a realm. A realm of coherence. You cannot be in one without without being in the others. If you are in the Son, you're also in the Father. You're also in the Spirit. If you're in the Spirit, you're also in the Father because they go in here. And the triune God, they are an incorporation. They indwell one another. Now, on the day of resurrection, as the Lord says in John 14, 20, in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. Now on the day of resurrection, that's when Christ is being glorified. His divinity, concealed, is now released, has been infused into us. Now He included us, human beings, also into that incorporation. He is in the Father, and now we are in Him, and He is in us. So we call this a universal divine human incorporation. We are never incorporated into the Godhead. The Godhead is forever the deity, right? The Father, Son, and Spirit. However, in life and nature, we have been incorporated in together with the triune God to become this universal divine human incorporation. Hallelujah! I tell you, this is God's eternal economy. It's not only to be united with us, it's not only to be even mingled with us, but eventually to bring us into such an incorporation that as He is in the Father, we are in Him, and He is in us. All together, the Father, Son, and Spirit, and us and the believers, we become such a universal incorporation. That's why in Ephesians 4, as we will see tonight, Paul says, Be diligent to keep the oneness of the Spirit. What is this oneness? He defines it by saying one body, one Spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope, one God and Father of all. Here there are four persons. The triune God plus the believers. All mingled and incorporated together to become such an incorporation. Hallelujah! I don't know you see something or not. This is... This is too much, Ron. This is, this is, this is glory. Amen. That we human beings can be included in the incorporation of the triune God. Amen. That incorporation has now been enlarged. 
We are included not for worship, not as objects of worship. We are included that we may be participants, partakers of the divine nature, of the divine life. Okay, the next point, sisters. One. Brothers, Okay, now, sisters, E. These are the three, uh, incorpor- uh, three uh, um, uh, mutual dwelling place, okay, the incorporation expressed in these three entities. Okay, brothers, on one. All three denote the church, showing that the church is the glorious increase produced by Christ through his death and resurrection. Amen. Sisters? Amen. Brothers? This expression needs to be maintained in the oneness of the triune God. Therefore, the Lord prayed in particular for this matter in His concluding prayer in John 17. Amen. Okay. I think we better move on to the next Roman numeral. Now you see why the Lord prayed for oneness. Right? Because of glorification. The the attribute, the unique attribute of the, this universal incorporation is oneness, right? So in his prayer, although the subject of that prayer is for glorification, but he prayed for oneness because the oneness is needed to maintain this glorification. Now, Roman numeral 2, the Lord's Prayer in John 17 was for the all-inclusive oneness of the body of Christ, the oneness of the believers in the triune God. Well, in brief, this oneness, the oneness as expressed by the Lord in that prayer, touches three levels. The first level in point uh, point A, the first level of oneness is the oneness in in the Father's name and by the Father's divine life. Amen. This is in uh, verse 11, where the Lord says, I am no longer in the world, yet they are in the world. I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given to me, that they may be one, even as we are. Keep them in your name, Amen. that they may be one. 
Now, point one says, the Father's name denotes the person of the Father, the Father himself as the source of life, the source of oneness. We must take the Father as the source of life and blessing. We must not live by our human life, but by the Father's divine life in our spirit to enjoy our all-inclusive sonship. Number two, the Father's life with his nature is the element of the oneness. So the first level of this oneness is in the Father's name. What is the Father's name? Father. Amen. That is the Father's name. Right? Father. Father means what? He is the one who begets. He is the source. And He is the source of life. We all receive life from our Father. Here the Lord in His prayer for oneness, He referred us back to our source. The Father is our source and He is, he, and, and, and the Father begets us with His life, with His nature. This is the element of our oneness. You know, in the, in the keeping of oneness among us, among God's children, one of the difficult problems is with our natural life. You know, whenever we all have our natural life, every one of us is born with a natural life. I'm, 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 I'm a Chinese. I have my Chinese natural life. You're an American. You have an American natural life. You are Korean. You are Korean natural life. And not only that, as we grow up, we grow up with a kind of a culture. In whatever environment we pick up, I was, I've been here in America uh, now for, uh, uh, you know, close to four, is, uh, uh, yeah, 35 years, 36 years. Well, on the one hand, I'm born, a, I have a Chinese natural life, but I also pick up a lot of American stuff. <laughs> you know, in this culture, and pick up a lot of, you know, habits and things. And, uh, and then also, we, you know, many of us, we got saved in religion. So give us a lot of concepts. So they kind of mold our being, a kind of natural life with a particular disposition, a particular taste. Like what Ron was saying last night, he was put in the midst of 70 Koreans. Right away, he's, uh, I don't know, are you Portuguese or you, what are you? American. American, okay. <laughs> His American natural life was tested to the uttermost. He was tested by the Korean natural life. And if, and if he, and you know, if all of us would just come into the church life with our natural life, I am a Chinese, you are Korean, you are a American, you are, you know, uh, uh, you are from California, you know, you are a New Yorker, you know. I mean, even, you know, on the, in, our, in, our, in our fallen life, even in, depending on where you grow up, we have different characteristics. Right. right? I mean, as I said before, you know, even among, just because we are, I'm Chinese, this, all the Chinese are the same. I'm a Chinese. Brother Peter, you as a Chinese, I'm quite different from that Chinese. Over there. <laughs> He's a Chinese from mainland China. I'm a Chinese from Hong Kong. And uh, Brother Henry is a Chinese from Taiwan. And there's a China, they, are Thai, they are Chinese from Malaysia. Right. And we all taste different. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And it's but because of our natural life. And how can we, when we come into the church life, we bring our natural life in and try to be one? It's impossible. That's why, you know, in denominations, they're better to just have Chinese church or just mainland Chinese church. <laughs> just for those of mainland China, or the Taiwanese church. So to just to sort out all the, keep all the differences away, right? Brothers and sisters, the Lord did not pray that the Chinese may be one. <laughs> that the Taiwanese may be one. That they all may be one. You know, regardless of what nationality, what race we are in, we all have been reborn from the same father. Amen, Amen Earl? Amen. Your father is the same as mine. Amen. We are born to the same father. Amen. You know, suppose we have, let's say there are four kids here, four boys. One is very smart, very diligent, very work, hardworking, and another one is kind of lazy, you know, don't do anything, and then another one is stupid, you know, just like, <laughs> and then another one is, oh, always playful, just wasting, you know, wasting away. Now these four kids, they have, they just, you know, make, giving each other a hard time, you know, and then uh, this and that, despising each other, you know, the, so they have difficulty. How do you resolve their problems? You have to tell them, well, boys, bring the father to them. You all have come from the same father. <laughs> Regardless you are smart, not smart, you know, you all have the same father. Amen. Bring these ones back to the same source. Amen. If you don't like that stupid one, blame it on the father. <laughs> don't, don't try to uh, ridic- you know, criticize. We all came from the same father. Amen. Today, brothers and sisters, isn't it true when we have uh, uh, problems among us believers? When we just uh, look at one another's differences and uh, uh, shortcomings and defects, we have a lot of gripes and a lot of dissatisfaction. But whenever we come back to our source, thank you, Father, for begetting us. Yes, my, my brother is not so perfect, not so good, a little troublesome. But thank you, Father. He is your son. <laughs> right? I'm also your son. And as we are brought back to the Father right away, we are brought back to the oneness. Amen. The Father's name is crucial. Not only the Father's name as the source, but the Father's name, but the Father's name implying the Father's life. Don't look at one another's defects and shortcomings, but look at the Father's life Amen. within the believers. Right? Yes, he may be a little short here. He is a little, uh, 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 you know, troublesome here, irritating here in his behavior. But he has a life of the Father in him. The same life as you. If the believers would would forsake, would put aside our natural life, whatever we prefer, our natural preferences, according to our natural life, and come back to the Father as our source... And also to enjoy, to partake of the Father's life, right away we are being preserved in oneness. So, brothers and sisters, among us, we have so many nationalities, but none of us can boast or should boast of where we came from 
what kind of nationality, what kind of learning, what kind of uh, 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 heritage, what kind of uh, uh, attainment. All those natural things need to be put aside. Amen. We only pay attention to the divine life Amen. within each one. Amen. When we would do that right away, we can be brought back to this precious oneness. Amen. This is what it means on this first level of the oneness as prayed for by the Lord, that he has given us the Father's name. Then the second level of oneness is the oneness in the reality of the sanctifying word. The word is the truth, and the truth is the triune God. To be sanctified by the reality of the word is to be sanctified by the triune God himself. The word which is the truth sanctifies God's people from the world and keeps them from the ruler of the world, the evil one. The Father's word of reality sanctifies us and makes us pure, delivering us from the mixed up world to separate us unto our God, the God of purity. The more a person is in the word of God, the purer he becomes. So the second level of the Lord's Prayer for Oneness is that He gave us the Father's Word. And this Word contains the truth. The truth refers to the triune God Himself. In the whole universe, only God is the truth. God is the unique reality. And this is contained in the Holy Word of God. We are being sanctified by the Word from the world. What is the world? The world is an ordered system devised by Satan, organized by Satan with many departments like a university, with departments of, uh, from gambling all the way to religion. They are all part of this university of the world, organized by Satan to capture people, to displace God from people. This is Satan's intention to use the world to occupy man's heart. Not only the bad part of the world, like all the sinful things of the world, but even many good things, education, religion, ethics, can be used by Satan in his order system as an element of the world to occupy you, to capture you. So that you have no place of God within you. Whenever we are captured by the world, I tell you, there will be a frustration to the oneness. I will come in. I have a, a, I'm a, a well-educated person. I have, a, 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 and I have been a, a, a bank manager for many years. I'm a, a very skilled. I have a, a, a much attainment in the world. Now I come into the church life. Uh, you put me in a, uh, assign me to a service group. I don't feel quite happy because I'm worth more than that, right? <laughs> I, should, I should manage the church. I don't just manage a little small service group. I feel a little bit unsatisfied. And not only that, when I'm put together, you, you have, you, you, uh, the, the leading brothers put me together with two or three brothers. Who just, one just graduated from high school. One just, uh, 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 you know, you want, you want me to work with these people? Yeah. <laughs> You know, you look at my attainment, look at my qualification. You are occupied with your attainment, with your qualification. You know, I come to serve God with my zeal, with my, just like Saul of Tarsus. He really thought he was well qualified to serve God. 
not, not knowing that he was altogether a captive by the world of religion. When we are in our world, we're captured by the world, impossible to be one. It is by the Father's sanctifying word that we can be cleansed, that we can be purified. It doesn't matter who you are. You may have three PhDs. You are the top university. That means nothing. When you come into the church, we are all brothers. We are all slaves of Christ. The word of God purifies us. The more you come to the word of God, the more you are made nothing. And when we become nothing, I tell you, that allows us to be one with all the brothers. The world hinders us, right? Not only the bad, the bad world, even anything that we may be obsessed to, I would say even including a way to preach the gospel, you have a certain way, you are very successful in your way of preaching the gospel, and that way may become your world. And when someone else is not taking agreeable with your way, you feel unhappy. You feel irritated. I, I, my way has brought hundreds of people to the Lord. What, have you, what, are you, what, what about your way? You become critical. So in the church life, to preserve our oneness, we, we should never stress any way. Any kind of our, our attainment. If there is a way, our way is Christ. Amen. Christ is the way. Amen. Our unique world is Christ himself. By the sanctifying word, we can be purified back to Christ himself. For the keeping of oneness, the matter of purity is so important. Right? Whenever we have some mixture, just some, some uh, mixture, some uh, impure motives, right away, the oneness is damaged. So the oneness demands uh, the sanctifying word to operate on us that we can be purified from the mixed up world. And then lastly, point C, the third level of oneness, as prayed for by the Lord, is the oneness in the divine glory for the expression of the process mingled and incorporated triune God. The oneness of all the believers in the divine glory is the oneness in the express sonship with the Father's life and nature. The glory of God is the expression of God. This splendid expression of divinity delivers us from ourself and makes us fully one. In this stage of the oneness, the self is fully denied. We must be saved from ourselves, including ambition, self-exaltation, and opinions and concepts. If we would give up the self, lose the self, and turn to the spirit, right away we would be in the reality of the body. Amen. If we live by our life with our nature to express ourselves, there will be no glory of God in the expression of ourselves. There is division. To live and act in the Father's life with the Father's nature, to express the Father's glory, and it is in this glory that we all are one. Our Christian life should be a life of what? Glory to glory. Amen. Glory, again I say, is God expressed. Amen. Wherever glory is, self has no place. Amen. Another problem that we have which hinders the oneness is ourself. Not only our natural life, not only the element of the world, but the very self, which is our being. 
not only my habit, not only my ways, not only the, the things where I'm occupied with, but my very self. I don't have to do anything. I'm just sitting here. I don't have to do anything. Just myself. I'm sitting here in myself. That is a divisive factor. Martin Luther says, the, the biggest pope is not the one in Vatican. The biggest pope, the most fearsome pope is the one in me, is myself. That is the most fearsome pope. I can turn away from that pope in Vatican. But I can't get rid, of, get rid of this pope. God's children has been inflicted by the self. They don't know how to get out of the self. So as a result, when things go right, don't go right, well, myself, I do, I, myself can, can get along with yourself. Well, so you go your way, I go mine, right? That's the source of much of the division today. That's why, brothers and sisters, we need the rich anointing. Amen. We need the grace of life, Amen. right? To save us from living in ourself. Whenever, we, whenever you are in yourself, there's no glory. There's no God expressed. But whenever, vice versa, it's true. When, God, when we are in God's glory, self has no place. Amen. So the Lord prayed for these three matters, right? That he gave us the Father's name to preserve us, to remind us of the Father as our source and his Father's life and nature. And also by the Father's sanctifying word so that we may be purified, saved, being saved from all the mixed up world, all the mixtures. And also he gave us the Father's glory. Amen. That glory refers to the, father, the sonship with the Father's life and nature for the expression of the Father that will deliver us from ourself so that we can be one. Brothers and sisters, don't you believe if we all would lay ourselves aside, one, what, will oneness be a problem? No. Oneness will right away be here. Right. Right. You don't have to do anything. Oneness is here when the self is absent. Right. You know, it, it's just whenever you, uh, I don't, just don't feel quite one with uh, uh, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. Why? Because of yourself. When you are, when, if you are delivered from yourself, right away, the oneness is a reality. Amen. So let's conclude by declaring Romans 3 together. Amen. Well, let me just mention very quickly this message 6, which is on the living out and working out the new Jerusalem as the ultimate answer to the Lord's prayer in John 17. The Lord prayed in John 17, and the Father answered. He answered that prayer, firstly, by resurrecting Christ from the dead. He also answered that prayer in the church. Especially on the day of Pentecost, He poured out His Spirit bringing all his believers in the church in Jerusalem into glory. Amen. They were in a oneness. They were just in the oneness with the triune God. And then ultimately, the, Lord, the Father answered the Son's prayer in the new Jerusalem. In the ultimate consummation, in that city, the new Jerusalem is a city of life. 
It is a holy city and it is a city of glory. In that city is full of life. It is full of the holy nature of God without any mixture. And it is a life. It is a city full of the glory of God. So ultimately, the New Jerusalem will be the final, ultimate answer to the Lord's Prayer in John 17. But today, we have a foretaste today in the church life. We are hearing the Lord, the Father, answering this prayer. Father, answer your son's prayer. Today, in the church life in Newton, in the church life in Cambridge, bring us into glory. Swallow up our natural life, anything of the world, anything of the self, that yourself may be expressed and bring us into glory. Praise the Lord. Well, I stop here. Uh, We still have a a few minutes to to respond something. All right be good to try to keep it short let's say 45 seconds all right so then maybe a few more can speak uh, before the announcements Amen. 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 to sit here is an expression of myself and i didn't come to express myself in this meeting Amen. i came to express the glory of christ Amen. Amen. 15 Amen. seconds i hope this has been an expression of the glory Amen. isaiah 43 7 Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created, formed, and even made for my glory. And in the footnote, the highest service we can render to God is to express His glory. And the highest service to God is to express His glory. Amen. We enjoyed this definition. Glory is to be released. Amen. Why did God create man? So God can be released. Amen. Why did God become a man? So God become released. Amen. Why, God, why did this man, God man resurrect from the dead? So God could be released. Amen. Where's the church force for the release of God?
is he rejected by men? Inside, though, was this divine glory that he wanted to release So he died and resurrected. And so he could dispense his life into us. So that not that we could do something, but that we could be something. Be God's expression. In that day, we will be just like him. We will see his glory. And our glory within us will also be revealed. Amen. And this is a divine human incorporation. Amen. God's eternal purpose, his eternal plan, revealed in these chapters. Amen. Wow. I don't think I've ever seen what I saw today. Those, those, those chapters leading up to John 17, to me, I just like to skip over them. And I still don't know what the Lord was talking about to the Father in chapter 17. To me, it's always like, why did he say that? It just doesn't follow. But praise the Lord, today we can see Amen. God's eternal plan. Amen. A divine human incorporation. Amen. So we would glorify Him. Amen. Praise the Lord for this word. Amen. 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 I feel we really touched something in the Lord's heart. Amen. Not just His act, but the, 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 the glorification. Which is uh, His purpose. Amen. Amen. We are being called by this glory.
Whether we read the word, we need to release. Release our spirit. Release the life. Only that life can can um, keep us in the oneness. And, and we have heard also that there are several um, negative things that uh, can um, damage the oneness. What are those? The natural life, the self, the world. And the only solution for that is the cross right? and the life, eternal life of God. So, amen, we have received that life that is in our spirit, our Jesus. Amen. So we come back to our spirits. And we, we take up the cross. Amen. To express the life of God. Amen. In this message, I felt charged from God with the responsibility. Responsibility to maintain the glory that the Father has already given us. Oh, Lord Jesus. Our oneness is not just to have a good church life. Even not just to have a good testimony of being one to the world. But it's to maintain the Father's glory. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. It's impossible for us to be divided. Amen. Hallelujah. Because we'll take God's choice. Amen. Christ and endure one another in our bingo spirit. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. In my understanding about the challenge 17, just like brothers say, just focus on the oneness. Praise the Lord. Through, uh, through today's... Uh, yeah. message, we know the end without this oneness is glorification of the Father. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And for us to glorify God, we have to receive this glory from Father first. Amen. Amen. So we need to be filled unto the fullness of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. And also the, uh, the, the, the two things that preventing the oneness, to damage oneness, is our natural life and ourself. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. We need to read it before the Lord. We need the Lord to shine on us so we can do away our natural life Amen. and do away ourselves so the glory, of, the glory of God can be expressed among us. Amen. Amen. Our Christian life should be a life from glory to glory. Amen. Amen. We are not under the dispensing of this glorious Father. What are we displaying? Ourselves. Right. So we remain under the dispensing of our Father. Amen. Chinese 14 course uh, banquet. <laughs> but it's okay. This banquet is for our, the rest of our life. Amen. So just enjoy whatever the Lord has released into you. Yeah. 
And with much prayer, like our brother praying every day, yeah, right. to a little by little, right. uh, get a glimmer, get a glimpse of what the Lord is doing. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. I was really touched uh, by one thing that the Lord today, in releasing His divinity, is to release Himself into men as the fire of light to burn on the earth. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Lord is casting fire on this earth. Amen. Right? And in, in Luke, his, the Lord says that I have come to cast fire on the earth. And how I wish that it were already kindled. So our brother mentioned uh, the Lord is casting fire. And it's really catching on. I think by the, Lord, by the Lord's uh, gathering of all the churches here, we realize that the Lord is really burning. Amen. And of course, we've heard uh, the brother's call, sounding the call for the greater Boston area. Yes. Praise the Lord. Amen. And we're praying that this area, this whole area will be kindled. Amen. So uh, hallelujah. Uh, I think uh, we don't have time to go into it, but we'd like to just uh, reminding the saints to continue to pray. Yes. For the Lord's moved into the greater Boston area, in particular, into the city of Boston. Amen. Lord Jesus. Amen. On behalf of all the young ones being gathered here. Right. right. We really want the Lord to cast fire. Amen. In this city. Right. Man. The city has been dead and dormant for too long. Right. Man. And has been too cold. Right. Lord Jesus. Amen. May Boston be kindled. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, praise the Lord, the Lord.